Jesus, what if we stop to drive? What if we close our eyes? Speeding through red lights into paradise. Cause we've no time for getting old. What about it's on the souls? That's a feeling, here we go. Oh, 
There's a light that you give me when I'm a shadow. There's a feeling you give me and never goes. Like brothers in blood, sisters in love, and we spoil on the night. Friends to eat time, the changing of winds. And the way water flows Life is short as the fall
dying, jumping, hurt you, hear I'm crying. Can you practice what you preach? Would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us and some guidance from above. 'Cause right now people have me questioning, where is the
Parkland was when I was about five years old, and we were dropping off my, my older brother for his baseball game here at the rec center. Does anyone here remember playing baseball here at the, at the when it was the rec center? I don't know if anyone's been here that, no, guess, okay. Um, anyway, um, I remember, here's the key thing, I remember this as being very high end. Um, it was really rather special because this baseball diamond had grass. And that was a big deal back then. Uh, remember, this was the 1950s. And at that time, there was very few open space uh, in the city that actually had grass. Um, open space for us kids in those days, it was either going down to the beach at the sand, um, or we'd play in the dirt fields that was either where the oil derricks were or a lot of eucalyptus trees with all the leaves falling. So, um, so I think the key message I want to make here is that even when I was a five-year-old child, I realized that, realized that grass, grassland, it was a real luxury. It was a real luxury back then, and we really appreciated it. So I just wanted to say um, I'll be 70 years old next. I'll be approaching my 70th birthday next year. And I'm so thrilled and I'm happy, so, so happy to be here today and to see that open green space with lots of grass has been returned to this parkland uh, for the future generations of children to play here. Thank you. That was great, Gloria. You're awesome. <laughs> um, this truly today, the way I look at this whole situation and what has transpired through the years, it's nothing short of a miracle. And I hope that all you residents and people that are out there today realize how precious this gift is to you today. Anyway, I'm going to just talk a, just a few minutes, so just bear with me. Um, my name, again, is Susie Worthy. I'm uh, one of the daughters of the Norman Worthy family. I am here today to say a few words regarding some of the history of how wonderful this very land is being dedicated today back to its original 17th Street Park namesake. This park represents up to seven to 10 years of nearby residents and committed preservationists to preserve this open space for all to enjoy, which was not an easy accomplishment. In the 1950s, this park was the home away from home for all the kids in Huntington Beach. It was the one and only recreation center that existed. My father, Normworthy, 
became the director in 1954. With his creativity, his vision, and his leadership, he created a superb department of recreation that continues today in our beautiful city of Huntington Beach. How many people out here today even remember the old recreation center that existed on this property? We played everything here after school and in the summers. Board games, crafts, making kites on kite day. We even had archery. My dad had all of us kids out here with bows and arrows and a bullseye. I mean, we had so much fun here, it was just unbelievable. It was the place to come. There was no other parks in the city that existed at that time, except for Lake Park and Triangle Park down, downtown, and maybe Circle and Moon Park that it's known off of Main Street, too, as well. But as far as a place where you could go and play all of these games and do all of these activities, it, there was no other place. Anyway, it, it just was, you know, basketball, the softball field was over here, the uh, playground equipment was right here where I broke my arm, and uh, we had uh, the, uh, we had the uh, uh, basketball courts over here, and then of course the recreation center where you could play pool and carom, board games, ring toss, everything. Anyway, absolutely wonderful memories uh, of, of the past, if you were even part of it back then. Uh, the park division was added to my father's responsibilities, and in the 1970s, a $6 million bond was placed on the ballot for the citizens to vote for or against to acquire open space land to develop the parks in the city. It passed with over two-thirds vote for approval. The citizens voted for the open space to be acquired to create all the parks that we have today in the city. He was responsible uh, with this money. My father, a gifted visionary, created 57 parks including our beautiful Central Park off of Golden West Street in his lifetime. Norman Worthy is known as the father of our parks. He is honored with the park named after him just down the street on 17th Street and Main Street and a bench marker located in Central Park if you can find it there. I can tell you most assuredly, today, he would be extremely pleased that another open space has been preserved for future generations. Today is a beautiful day, and it's just remarkable. And the only thing that would have made it even more perfect would have been if my mother would have been singing at this park dedication today, Shirley Worthy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gloria, and thank you, Susan. And to all the folks and representatives who spoke here today, we're really grateful. And now I'd like to invite up um, 
City Council Member uh, Kim Carr and former Mayor Jill Hardy, if you'd like to say anything. Is there anyone else that maybe came while we were speaking? I'm happy to call you up. Come on. Thank you. It's so amazing to actually be here and see this come to fruition. I was telling Barbara, I feel like this is almost like having a baby, and I've been in labor for like 30 plus hours, and it's just never going to come out. But anyway, um, I am so excited about today because um, we have had a lot of meetings about this, and we've had multiple discussions about this, and there were times when I was thinking, this is going to go sideways at some point, but I'm so grateful for everybody coming together to build this beautiful facility, which will be here for generations to come. And so I, it's a true honor for me to have seen this project come to fruition and to be a part of it. And um, couldn't have done it without my trusty colleague, former Mayor Jill Hardy. I just want to point out that this is a monument to community involvement, that the neighbors and other residents throughout the city, um, the American Legion, they were so involved in what became of this property, not just returning it to a park, but what kind of park it would be and how the space would be shared with the community. And so each time you come by, remember that the members of the community, their voices make a difference. So stand up, speak up, and always participate. Thank you so much. And if you won't mind, I will take a, a moment of, of sharing just maybe a few things about myself. I, um, this is kind of a bittersweet day. This is really one of my last um, services as mayor. I have had the good fortune to be your mayor for a second time in the last eight years. It's been an honor and a privilege. And I was talking to someone earlier when I got here, and um, when I moved to Huntington Beach, I lived like two blocks over here, 15th and Pecan. And you know, I didn't really have the sense of the historic knowing at that time what this was. And so what I mean by being a park and all of that, I just know that I brought my daughter here and we played here in the park. And um, those were really exciting times in a way. Um, I've got to tell you very honestly, we came here with not a lot of money, um, a lot of hopes, absolutely loved the beach. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I could carry her, literally carry her, and walk to the beach. So those were kind of things were pretty special. Anyway, as life would have it, um, I grew up, got a job, you know, all that good stuff. So I've been here now 50 years, and um, I'm will be eternally grateful for this experience. So many of you in the grassy area right now, I've known for a long time, some of you just met you today. But just let me say to you that like you, I love Huntington Beach, and I have for a very long time, even before I got here. <laughs> uh, one of the first things I did when I moved here, if you can believe that, but I had a girlfriend that um, used to surf, and I got here to Huntington Beach, and I took a big handful of sand right by the pier and put it in a, a Ziploc bag and sent it back to her in New York. Um, it just, you know, it's just one of those things how special our community is. So I want to personally say thank you to all of you here who are present and the ones that are not. It's been a ride of a lifetime and I'm extremely grateful. So thank you.
Lewis HB. Make it a good year coming up, you know what I mean?
Good morning Oilers, I'm Karma Robbins and this is Campus Update. Christmas or whatever you celebrate is just around the corner, so let's work even harder these last couple of weeks while we are in school. Speaking of the holidays, many of our APA programs have been working on the Sounds of the Season show. This show is filled with lots of holiday spirit. We went and took a deeper dive into one of our departments. Here's Sophia with more information. Hey Oilers, it's Sophia. This weekend, Sounds of the Season is finally airing. The APA departments want to present their annual winter celebration by performing at this show at the start of the holiday season. We decided to take a look at how the orchestra department is preparing for the show. The show is just filled with really fun um, holiday music and there's a big variety of all the different ensembles and all the different groups performing, our bands perform, our small ensembles with orchestra perform, our large orchestra does, our color guard performs, we have MMET performing, musical theater performs with us, a lot of groups. Um, my favorite thing I think that I like looking forward to is the finale where we get pretty much everybody on there. We're going to have the entire band and the entire orchestra on the stage with all the musical theater people and more in the you know around the audience. It's about 200, 300 people doing the finale for it and it's really fun. My favorite part of playing the show is waiting backstage for our performance to come on. So you're just sitting there with all your friends, just constantly checking in time. It's a bunch of fun. It's very exciting. All APA departments are performing and have worked extremely hard. So come by and see the show, which is airing this weekend, December 8th to December 10th. The APA adult tickets are $25 and APA students and senior citizens are $15. Thank you, Sophia. That show sounds like it will be a great one, especially the finale. I'm excited to see all of our APA departments performing this weekend. As always, make sure to go to hbappa.org for information about all of the upcoming shows and performances. Since this is a Christmas show, you should all start thinking about what you want for Christmas. I know many people who like to play video games, and you definitely want some for Christmas. Well, do you want to play video games at school? So, join the Ear Sports Club. Let's take a look at what Brayden and Colton have come up with. 
What's up, guys? If you're interested in joining a fun club, we might have something for you. The Esports Club. It's located in room B11 with Mr. DeLazer, and they have an entire gaming setup in the back of the class. The club has been around for three years, and they play games like Overwatch, Valorant, CSGO, and Fortnite. They even compete in tournaments against other schools. Meetings are every Friday at lunch. If you enjoy playing games, then this is the club for you. Sounds like fun for people who like video games. Honestly, I'm more interested in playing Roblox or Minecraft, but you do you. I also love to play Wii Sports games. With sports in mind, we do have some news about one of the girls' sports teams. Here's Lauren with more information. Hey Oilers, it's Lauren with some more sports for you all. Congratulations to our girls' tennis team for making it to the CIF playoffs a while ago. There are two singles and two doubles who won league. Yen won first place and Kayla won second place. Bella and Sophia got first in doubles and Lenhai and Ella got third place in doubles. They are advancing on the CIF playoffs for individual leagues. Congratulations to everyone. We are so happy for our girls' tennis team. Thanks, Lauren, and a huge congrats to our girls' tennis team. Kicking off the season of giving, here's Carlitos and Michael giving you guys gifts. Hello everybody, I'm here to give people the best and most premium gifts you will ever see. That's a lie. They're really bad. Let's get into it. Thank you, thank you. I got, I got a gift for you, man. Alright? Uh, what? A non-working stick of DDR3 RAM. Yo, you know what? I actually need one of these. Three month old Sour Patch Kids. Pre those have been sitting in my closet for three months. Thank you. Uh... Like fine wine, bro. <laughs> You sure this is not gonna kill me? No, no guarantees. I do really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you have a gift for me, man? It's a Secret Santa thing, so you gotta oh, give me something. Uh, you know what? Hold on. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Here's a stick. I was trying to steal his Jeep Cherokee keys, but apparently, you know. I have a gift for you. You know, a one of one police duck. Look at him. He looks so nice. What's your opinion on this? I love it. Some people think Christmas is just about gifts, but it's not. It's about being kind thanking the people around you, spreading holiday spirit, and helping others out, even if you don't know who they are. Here's Mallory and Casey spreading some holiday cheer at our local toy drive. Hey Oilers, I'm Mallory Annette, and today I wanted to take some time to talk about the importance of donating toys to children for the holidays. Many families are not able to afford gifts for Christmas, so it's important we as a community donate toys to families who need it. Christmas is a special day for every kid. The excitement of waking up to gifts waiting for you is a special moment for everyone. And every kid deserves to have the opportunity to make that memory. Any donations are wanted and will help at least one family in need. This Christmas, try to donate some toys to your local toy drive and make a kid's Christmas magical. Wow, that's amazing and super sweet of you guys. Happy holidays from the Campus Update team. I hope you guys are thinking of something good to do this holiday season. Winter is definitely one of my favorite times of the year. Remember, to keep those grades up, be kind and be confident. You got this. We're almost to 2023. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you all back here next Monday.
Welcome to the 2022 holiday open house for the Huntington Beach Police Department. And let me show you something that we have. We have so many good displays, you are going to be overwhelmed, but they're all outstanding. Starting with our 1948 beauty of a vehicle that is an old-time patrol car. Probably wouldn't have much application today, but she's a beauty and she looks good and she's always here and she's faithful, so we love her. This is our traffic safety booth where we help everybody be safe with uh, with seat belts and with baby booster seats and everything like that. So you can get here safely, you can go home safely, and you can get some good presents. This is our. This is where we're doing our raffles and this is where we have our volunteers and look at them. They're happy. They're 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 very energetic, and they love being here. And I don't know your name, but but Maria. she's liking. Maria. That's Maria. She's going to be our new bird. We're going to give her a little. We're going to give. Don't bite me. And so we're good. This man here has the most outstanding Corvette that I've ever seen. It's yellow. It looks like it's straight out of Transformers. And he looks like a champ when he's driving that around. When he's not being a volunteer, and he also writes children's books. So God bless you. And she's here every darn day helping us out and we need our volunteers because they do vacations checks they help us do everything at the station and without them we could not perform and i am beyond appreciative so thank you for being here thank you chief yes so this is our booth from california department of fish and wildlife and this is our, our coyote awareness booth and wildlife awareness booth and we have one of my favorite people in the world because we both worked in the la sheriff's department together a long time ago now we're on to, to bigger and better things janice munson she's here she helps out and she saves us in terms of being the, the points person for community outreach and for community awareness and education regarding coyotes we're going to model Marlis and her new oh, and her new God. glasses. Marlis had a little fall recently, <laughs> and her fall. her yeah, actually it was a big fall. It was kind of being kind of be nice. <laughs> she she had a fall and she broke her glasses. So in the interest of the of Christmas spirit, I said, Marlis, go out and get a new pair of glasses. I'm going to pay for them. And we did, and she got the got Ferrari em. model. Got and she, I got to tell you, they look beautiful. Thank you. I and like so them. I hope you like them. I do. All right, stay that way. I but like she them. she does so much for us. So the CERT programs are designed to enhance community safety, but they're also designed to enhance community participation in safety. And there's there this is educational uh, information so that we can be a much more safe community, we can be a much more prepared uh, community in terms of community response when emergencies occur. So CERT programs are vital, and what we need is we need more volunteers and we, we need more participation. So if you're interested, please contact us at HBPD and we will we will give you the information that we that we have so that you can join this worthwhile program. Well, here we are at our wonderful canine booth. And canines are one of the most important tools law enforcement have to keep us safe when we're searching for criminals. And this guy may not be the real one, but I like him just as much. And he's not going to bite me, which is even better. But now, these are these are representatives from our Huntington Beach Police uh, Community Foundation, which have helped to fund our canines. So we need support for that, and we always need more canines because they did perform such a valuable function. Now, let's go over here, and we will see. Watch out right behind you. Our new canine, who is here. His name's Arrow. And Arrow is the greatest canine. He's with Officer Martinez. And you can see... Both handsome fellas there, ready to go, and uh, Arrow's ready to be in service here really quick. He's out, he's graduated from the program, he's ready to start. And we're looking forward to a bunch of successes. So what we have here is a representative of our mounted unit. This is Rowdy. Rowdy has, has four brothers and sisters, that, so there's a five total. We just added one to the unit, which is so key for crowd control and so key for positive community relations. And then, of course, on Rowdy, we have Officer Steve Flynn. 
who is the outstanding representative in that cowboy hat of which they gave me one. So we're so proud of our, our, our mounted enforcement unit and they perform such a great function. And Rowdy likes me today, so we're gonna keep this, see? Life is good. So at the holiday annual party, we're here for the uh, aero display. And uh, you know, this is, a, this is obviously a very festive event. The event is here to, to be joyful for Christmas, but we can't forget back in February, uh, on February 19th of last year, we lost one of our pilots. And we will never ever forget him, and he will be in our prayers forever, and so will his family, and particularly Dylan, his, uh, his daughter. But this is one of the helicopters that we have, and we're getting three new ones. And we're very excited. It's, um, that's almost like Christmas now. That, getting the new three helicopters outstanding, and I have one of our chief pilots here, who's uh, Officer Mark Worshing. And then we have the studly-looking gentleman over here, is Officer John DeLima and they fly these helicopters. And if you take a look around, you can see the helicopters. If, if, I, if you can find dust, you'll be very, very surprised. If you can find anything on this that isn't perfect and, and meticulously maintained, I, I, would, I would challenge you to do that. These, our mechanics and our pilots take such great care of these helicopters because they're life-saving equipment and, they, and they're flying and they need to stay in the air. And we do, we really pride ourselves on that. Hi, this has been your Chief of Police, Eric Parra, for your Huntington Beach Police Department annual 2022 open house. And we are so glad that you were able to join us and please come back next year because we love your support and we love you. Thank you.
toys and goodies on the sand, and every mother's child is gonna spy to see the pretty to the 17th Street Park and the Memorial Hall. It is my great pleasure to introduce uh, Jim Rossman. Uh, he is going to do the, um, the pledge. And then, of course, on deck, please, uh, Reverend James Pike. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Two. We ask for a blessing upon this place, O Lord. We give you thanks for what it was, for the people who were served here, for the joy that was had here, for the lives that were shaped and protected. And now we ask for a blessing upon what it is and will be, for the community that will gather here, for those who will enjoy this park space, and for the memorial hall where we remember those who have served, protected and defended, and even paid with their own lives. We ask you to bless the American Legion and the work they will do in this place and the community that will also gather in these spaces. And so we ask for your presence and your grace on this day in your name. Amen. Well, this is a very exciting day, and it's my great pleasure to um, thank all of you for being here today. And we are going to have the ribbon cutting of the 17th Street Park and the Memorial Hall. But before we get started, um, I would like to take a few minutes to um, acknowledge some very special guests that are here this morning with us on behalf of uh, different councils and committees and commissions. I believe uh, Council Member, former Mayor Kim Carr is here. Thank you, Kim Carr. And. Um, if there's another a council member here I don't know, please raise your hand because, um, okay, great. Uh, Community and Library Services Commission, uh, present we have Laura Costello and Elaine Parker and Reverend James Pike. 
Yes, yes. Oh, and Alan Ray. Okay. Also, please join me in welcoming key city staff and project team members joining us. Uh, that would be Community and Library Services Director Chris Slama, Amir Movafi, President of the Legion Construction, Eric Borbali, Project Manager of Legion Construction, Danny Kay from Totem, Alejandro Pina from Totem, and then uh, Andy Stein or Steen, RJM Design Group. Again, I would like to welcome you all to the 17th Street Park on this beautiful day as we celebrate the remarkable transformation from Rogers Senior Center site into Huntington Beach's 79th Public Park. Yes, go ahead and clap. This is an exciting day. The property we're standing on has served Huntington Beach residents in so many various ways over the 100 years, and I'd like to share a few of those highlights. In 1914, Huntington Beach Company gifted the property, then known as Block 417, I'll meet you down at the block, huh? That sounds pretty cool, <laughs> uh, to the city. This is one of those three public properties offered by the Huntington Beach Company. The parcel became popular community park space used for picnicking and baseball games and larger community events. While it was never formally named, it was often referred to the 17th Street Park. And in the 1931, the land was leased for oil drilling, and no drilling ever took place. The landscaping was removed and relocated to Lake Park right down the street. And then in 1941, the property was given to the military for use throughout the duration of the Second World War. In 1949, a U.S. Army building was moved here from Santa Ana to this property. The building has provided for tens of thousands of U.S. and Allied troops within the relocation of Huntington Beach. The building's use transitioned to a place where high school students used to uh, re use for recreation. Older adults were turned away from participating in recreation programming at the facility. It became known as the Recreation Center and was early home of Parks and Recreation Department. In 1975, the building was remodeled and transferred into the Senior Center. Following the second remodel uh, in 1983, it was dedicated as the Michael E. Rogers Senior Center, serving older adults till 2016 when the new Senior Center opened in Central Park. Shortly thereafter, City Council directed staff and Community Service Commission through many, many public input processes to determine the future use of the site. At this time, I'd like to invite our Director of Community and Library Services, Chris Slama, to come up and share a little bit more about how we ended up here today. Chris? Thank you, Mayor DeGlaze, and, and everybody that's here today. What a turnout. What an exciting special day it is. Um, I'd also like to recognize a few other special people that are here today. Um, we have a former mayor and council member, uh, Jill Hardy, is here with us today, too. Um, and also our city manager, Al Zelinka, is here. Thank you, Al, for being here today. And um, Kathy Shea, our chair of the Historic Resources Board. And Mr. Amory Hansen from the Historic Resources Board is here as well.
So after the Rogers Senior Center closed, and really in the years leading up to that, we heard very clearly from this community that you wanted to return the site into its original use when it was first donated to the city over 100 years ago into a public park. After several meetings and discussions and, and many different interim uses of the former Rogers Senior Center building, city staff and RJM Design Group kicked off the design process by gathering feedback from our community. Back in 2019, over 100 residents attended a charrette workshop at the old Michael E. Rogers Senior Center site in a dingy room that was right about there previously. I see a lot of familiar faces here today um, that were with us. Participants sat around round tables uh, providing input on likes, dislikes, issues, concerns, um, and de desires for the park and facility amenities that, that you wanted to see here. I specifically remember being in that room and sensing a whole range of emotions. Um, everything from excitement, some frustration, some anxiety, and pretty sure I saw some eyes rolling at, at, at times. <laughs> but most importantly, there was meaningful conversation that initiated a solid start to community consensus. Multiple meetings followed, considering various iterations of a new plan. What we heard, ultimately, from the community and what City Council approved was this two-acre passive park and improvements to the former senior outreach building behind me for community use and dedicated space for the American Legion Post 133. Many thanks again to our Community and Library Services Commission and our City Council for your guidance and consideration along the way. And most importantly, I'd like to extend our sincere appreciation to the many neighbors and community members who participated so enthusiastically throughout the years, many of whom, again, are here today. I'd like to ask, if you were here at this initial workshop, or you participated in any meetings, um, any efforts that followed that led to having us here today, um, just please raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Thank you. Thank you all sincerely for your dedication, for your voice, your patience, and your contribution. Your involvement and passion will provide endless opportunities for neighbors, residents, and visitors alike to create memories, take a break from their stressful day, and enjoy Huntington Beach's, one of Huntington Beach's greatest assets, our open space. So aside from designing the future of the park, there remain further challenges and opportunities, like naming these new amenities. To talk more about the naming and recognition journey, I'd like to welcome Community Library Services Commission Vice Chair, Reverend James Pike, back to the microphone. Thank you. Not only do I pray, but I name things <clears throat> in the city. Well, I want to recognize the other people who are on this commission with me, uh, Laura Costello, who I know is here, and then also Councilmember-elect Pat Burns, who I don't know could make it this morning, but the three of us were on the Park Naming and Memorials Committee. And once it was decided to move forward, this was a multi-year project, as many of you will remember. Uh, it was important to bring together the community and figure out how we accomplished a few different things. One was the naming of this space. The other was, what do we do with the legacy of the McAlee Rogers Senior Center? And then also, how do we provide a space for the American Legion and honor another place that we had in this city uh, that used to be the old Memorial Hall? So if you remember, there was a Memorial Hall in the past. And so we wanted to thank everyone who participated in those conversations to help us 
figure out what to do with those three pieces. So we wanted to thank Kathy Shea, who was already acknowledged. Also, um, HBE, Preserve Our Past, and the folks who came from that. And we had a lot of community members that showed up uh, both in council chambers and downstairs just to offer their feedback, research, and opinion about how it was that we honored these various legacies. So when it went forward to the council, uh, I think everyone knows the way that this was decided, which I think was a nice way to accomplish all three goals, uh, was the naming of this park into that sort of deep historic um, background, better than the lot number that Mayor Dalglaze shared with us. Uh, taking the Michael E. Rogers legacy and creating a memorial wall at the new senior center. So if you're at the new senior center walking into the Parkview room, uh, soon you will be able to see that legacy of Michael E. Rogers and the continuation of caring for seniors in Huntington Beach. And then, of course, as you see right behind us, beautifully displayed HB Memorial Hall, giving a space for the American Legion, but also creating a community space where members who live in this neighborhood or beyond uh, can use this space to meet as community and belong to one another. So to give you some more detail about what happened here, the culmination of bringing community together and sharing ideas for this space, I wanted to bring our Deputy Director of Public Works, Chow Vu, forward to talk more about the construction period that took place over the last nine months. Chow Vu. All right, so in 2021, the city executed a contract with Legion contract contractors for the decommissioning of Rogers Senior Center which includes building improvements to Memorial Hall and transferring the hardscape parking lot to the greenscape that you see here today. Prior to the commencement of construction, a groundbreaking ceremony was held in February, and the community had an opportunity to reflect and share the impacts of Rogers Senior Center. Shortly after that day, Legion Construction and Totem mobilized and began construction. The demolition of Senior Center began, and many of our neighbors we're watching just beyond the construction fence. And 17th Street Park is a two-acre park, which includes open space and picnic benches, along with a new 13-stall parking lot. Memorial Hall received improvements, including flooring, millwork, interior, exterior improvements, paint, and upgrades to the restroom. This facility will truly serve the American Legion and our community as the original Memorial Hall did in the 1930s. I want to take a moment to take our, our talented construction team because, believe it or not, this project is done ahead of schedule and under budget. So great job to our construction team. And um, I want to recognize Legion Construction President Amir Malagay, Project Manager Eric Borley. From TOTA, we have Danny Kay Alejandro Pinnell. And finally, our city team, we have Brian Polifka, Dave Fate from Public Works, Kristen Martinez, Chris Cole, Ashley Wysocki, and Chris Slama from Community and Library Services. Oh. Mayor? As Mr. Slama indicated, you know, this is such a team effort, such a community effort. Um, however, there's many of you who've been involved for quite some time. You live around here. You, you made your thoughts and uh, comments heard very quickly, very early. So I'd like to just give a, a shout out to a few others. Chris Varga and Fran Varga read, hosted in countless strategic planning meetings. Bridget Johnson, uh, Catherine Johnson, high school student through her research presented the city historical documents. Barbara Haynes, I just saw you Barbara Haynes, long time historic preservation contributor to the former HRB chair 
whose research provided lots of documentation and significance that took place over the last hundred years. And I'm sorry, Michelle, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. So I'm just going to say Michelle M, if that's okay. You're an 18th Street resident. Uh, Mar Sinek, something, is that close? Is she here? Okay, there you go. All right, very good. And Natalie Huang. And uh, lastly, I'm going to say Gloria Alvarez for the last hundred years. Okay, so <laughs> um, let's see here. I want to bring on now the American Legion Post. Um, it has a long history and standing services to our veterans. I am honored to invite Russ Dorman to share a few words. Russ? You bet. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This has been a long time coming. And just to let you know, we have been in this community as of December 18th, 103 years. So before I start with a little bit of history, this could not be possible without you, the community. Oh, no. <laughs> without you, the community standing with us, going to council meetings without Chris Slama under his direction as director of Parks and Rec. The city council, we presented many, many, many times to them when Rogers was up here trying to save the building, but then the community won. We turned it into a nice park for everybody to enjoy. No more fences. It's open. Okay, now I'll get into some other stuff. In the early years of Post 133, we were heavily involved in the affairs of the city. The Post formed, funded, and manned the volunteer fire department during the 1920s. Many Legionnaires served in the police department, fire department, and school district, as well as on the city council. In 1926, a new city hall and auditorium was built. And if you're not familiar with it, I believe it's off Main and 5th and 6th Street where the old building used to be. A second floor was added, and the building was rededicated as, mem as Memorial Hall in 1930. Long time ago. Post 133 was given exclusive use of the second floor. The building remained the home of Post 133 until it was torn down in 1974. So here we are, 48 years later, and look, Memorial Hall is back. Thank you, community. Uh, today, the Post works with the city to plan its patriotic functions, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and Patriotic Day ceremonies. Post 133 has a partnership with the city, Hometown Heroes, which displays banners of Huntington Beach military service members. You've seen them up and down Main Street. Post 133 also provides volunteers for the Veterans Resource Center at the Huntington Beach Central Library. Today, Post 133 gets a new home in the newly named Memorial Hall. Thank you for this home and your attendance here today. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. A uh, common th theme throughout our speakers has been community. Without community participation and input, this project never would have been possible. Whether you've been a resident for one day or 100 years, your participation and input 
assist in developing consensus for the future of our open spaces. I am very happy to welcome two long-standing community members whose families have been involved in Huntington Beach history for many, many years. Gloria Alvarez and Susan Worthy, please come forward. Hi, um, let me get my reading glasses. Um, for uh, those of you who don't know me, I am Gloria Alvarez, Susie Worthy nice here. And uh, we grew up here in Huntington Beach, and our dads grew up together here in Huntington Beach and played sports at Huntington Beach High School. So we go way back, way, way back. Um, so just FYI about me personally, uh, both my maternal and my paternal families uh, came here to beautiful Huntington Beach over 100 years ago, settled here in Huntington Beach. I'm so happy that they settled here. They came here to farm the land. Um, I'm here today, actually, to speak on behalf of us kids who grew up here at the park at the time in the early 1950s, which was the rec center. Uh, and I want to talk about what this parkland has meant to us. Um, I personally grew up at the other end of Huntington Beach, much closer to where Bella Terra is today. So when we would come to downtown, what we consider downtown Huntington Beach, it was a big deal. It was like coming into town. It was very exciting. Um, yeah, for me as a young child, it was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. So um, anyway, one of my earliest memories of this specific parkland was when I was about five years old, and we were dropping off my, my older brother for his baseball game here at the rec center. Does anyone here remember playing baseball here? At the, at the, when it was the rec center? I don't know if anyone's been here that, no, guess, okay. Um, anyway, um, I remember, here's the key thing. I remember this as being very high end. Um, it was really rather special because this baseball diamond had grass. And that was a big deal back then. Uh, remember, this was the 1950s. And at that time, there was very few open space uh, in the city that actually had grass. Um, open space for us kids in those days, it was either going down to the beach at the sand, um, or we'd play in the dirt fields that was either where the oil derricks were or a lot of eucalyptus trees with all the leaves falling. So, um, so I think the key message I want to make here is that even when I was a five-year-old child, I realized that, realized that grass Grassland, it was a real luxury. It was a real luxury back then, and we really appreciated it. So I just wanted to say um, I'll be 70 years old next. I'll be approaching my 70th birthday next year, and I'm so thrilled and I'm happy, so, so happy to be here today and to see that open green space with lots of grass has been returned to this parkland uh, for the future generations of children to play here. Thank you. That was great, Gloria. You're awesome. <laughs> um, this truly today, the way I look at this whole situation and what has transpired through the years, it, it's nothing short of a miracle. And I hope that all you residents and people that are out there today realize how precious this gift is to you today. Anyway, I'm going to just talk a, just a few minutes, so just bear with me. Um, my name again is Susie Worthy. I'm uh, one of the daughters 
of the Norman Worthy family. I am here today to say a few words regarding some of the history of how wonderful this very land is being dedicated today back to its original 17th Street Park namesake. This park represents up to seven to 10 years of nearby residents and committed preservationists to preserve this open space for all to enjoy, which was not an easy accomplishment. In the 1950s, this park was the home away from home for all the kids in Huntington Beach. It was the one and only recreation center that existed. My father, Norm Worthy, became the director in 1954. With his creativity, his vision, and his leadership, he created a superb department of recreation that continues today in our beautiful city of Huntington Beach. How many people out here today even remember the old recreation center that existed on this property? We played everything here after school and in the summers. Board games, crafts, making kites on kite day. We even had archery. My dad had all of us kids out here with bows and arrows and a bullseye. I mean, we had so much fun here. It was just unbelievable. It was the place to come. There was no other parks in the city that existed at that time, except for Lake Park and Triangle Park down, downtown and maybe Circle and Moon Park that it's known off of Main Street, too, as well. But as far as a place where you could go and play all of these games and do all of these activities, it, there was no other place. Anyway, it, it just was, you know, basketball, the softball field was over here, the uh, playground equipment was right here where I broke my arm, and uh, we had uh, the uh, we had the uh, uh, basketball courts over here, and then of course the recreation center where you could play pool and carom board games, ring toss, everything. Anyway, absolutely wonderful memories uh, of of the past if you were even part of it back then. Uh, the park division was added to my father's responsibilities. And in the 1970s, a $6 million bond was placed on the ballot for the citizens to vote for or against to acquire open space land to develop the parks in the city. It passed with over two thirds vote for approval the citizens voted for the open space to be acquired to create all the parks that we have today in the city. He was responsible uh, with this money. My father, a gifted visionary, created 57 parks, including our beautiful Central Park off of Golden West Street in his lifetime. Norman Worthy is known as the father of our parks. 
He is honored with the park named after him just down the street on 17th Street and Main Street and a bench marker located in Central Park if you can find it there. I can tell you most assuredly today he would be extremely pleased that another open space has been preserved for future generations Today is a beautiful day, and it's just remarkable. And the only thing that would have made it even more perfect would have been if my mother would have been singing at this park dedication today, Shirley Worthy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gloria, and thank you, Susan. And to all the folks and representatives who spoke here today, we're really grateful and now I'd like to invite up um, City Council Member uh, Kim Carr and former Mayor Jill Hardy, if you'd like to say anything. Is there anyone else that maybe came while we were speaking? I'm happy to call you up. Come on. Thank you. It's so amazing to actually be here and see this come to fruition. I was telling Barbara, I feel like this is almost like having a baby and I've been in labor for like 30 plus hours and it's just never going to come out. But anyway, um, I am so excited about today because um, we have had a lot of meetings about this and we've had multiple discussions about this and there were times when I was thinking this is going to go sideways at some point, but I'm so grateful for everybody coming together to build this beautiful facility, which will be here for generations to come. And so I, it's a true honor for me to have seen this project come to fruition and to be a part of it. And um, couldn't have done it without my trusty colleague, former Mayor Jill Hardy. I just want to point out that this is a monument to community involvement, that the neighbors and other residents throughout the city, um, the American Legion, they were so involved in what became of this property, not just returning it to a park, but what kind of park it would be and how the space would be shared with the community. And so each time you come by, remember that the members of the community, their voices make a difference. So stand up, speak up, and always participate. Thank you so much. And if you won't mind, I will take a, a moment of, of sharing just maybe a few things about myself. I, um, this is kind of a bittersweet day. This is really one of my last uh, services as mayor. I've had the good fortune to be your mayor for a second time in the last eight years. It's been an honor and a privilege. And I was talking to someone earlier when I got here, and um, when I moved to Huntington Beach, I lived like two blocks over here, 15th and Pecan. And, you know, I didn't really have the sense of the historic knowing at that time what this was. And so what I mean by being a park and all of that, I just know that I brought my daughter here and we played here in the park. And um, those were really exciting times in a way. Um, I've got to tell you very honestly, we came here with not a lot of money, um, a lot of hopes, absolutely loved the beach. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I could carry her, literally carry her, and walk to the beach. So those were kind of things were pretty special. Anyway, as life would have it, um, I grew up, got a job, you know, all that good stuff. So I've been here now 50 years, and um, I'm 
will be eternally grateful for this experience. So many of you in the grassy area right now, I've known for a long time, some of you just met you today. But just let me say to you that like you, I love Huntington Beach and I have for a very long time, even before I got here. <laughs> Uh, one of the first things I did when I moved here, if you can believe that, but I had a girlfriend that um, used to surf, and I got here to Huntington Beach, and I took a big handful of sand right by the pier and put it in a, a Ziploc bag and sent it back to her in New York. Um, it just, you know, it's just one of those things, how special our community is. So I want to personally say thank you to all of you here who are present and the ones that are not. It's been a ride of a lifetime, and I'm extremely grateful. So thank you. Hello Huntington Beach. I'm your mayor, Barbara Del Glaze. Welcome to another Surf City Now. Last week we lit the Christmas tree downtown. Were you there? It seemed like everybody came out for that special event. Thank you to HB Downtown and to Santa Claus for making magic on Main Street so special. As you know, my time on the Huntington Beach City Council has come to an end, and I will be forever grateful for the eight years I've spent on the council working, making the community even better. I cherish special memories in forever friendships. So thank you, and thank you to my council colleagues and city staff as well as our business community and residents for the confidence and trust that you have placed in me. It has been my privilege and honor to have worked with you and served you. I wish you all the best in 2023 and beyond and wishing your families Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and I'll see you at the beach.
She died in 2013 at the age of 90, leaving behind a remarkable treasure trove of memories inspired by Old Pirate Lane. From an above-ground well to historic Native American remains, from a legendary farmhouse to the palpable sense of community its residents maintain to this day, the stories of Old Pirate Lane reveal a wonderful world that still exists within Huntington Beach. I'm Chris Epting. History excites me especially history that's waiting to be uncovered. I feel like a detective sometimes, sifting through clues, chasing down leads, and examining evidence. That's why I've written so many books about it. When you discover an untold story, it sparks the imagination, it connects you to the past, and sometimes it even helps you see into the future. Welcome to Hidden Huntington Beach. Gwendolyn Runyard's son, John, is the caretaker for much of this unique neighborhood's history. 
our journey through time begins with him. John, we've been hanging out a few, little bit this morning, and just the sense on Old Pirate, I'm gonna still call it Old Pirate Lane, but your neighbors come out, everyone's sharing stories and history. There really is something about this street yep. that is historic, but also very neighborly. You've lived here for how long? 63 years. 63 years, so your parents found the lot they purchased the land in, in 55, built in 58. And you were telling me you had horses. Yeah, we had horses. But oh, everybody had, this was horse country. That's right, there was, there was five houses on this street with horses. Meadowlark Airport sort of butted right up against the end of, of Old Pirate Lane, but there was no fence there, so you could ride clear through down to the beach? That, that's right. And this was your horse, this was like the... This was the horse corral. When did you stop having horses? Uh, 1969, I think, we, we sold, sold the horses. Everybody went to war, and uh, there was nobody around to ride them. But this is where the horses used to be. And yep. this is the original gate and fencing and everything? This is the original, original gate. Your yeah. dad put that in, right? Yeah. And you've converted it into this magical garden. You're right up against the eucalyptus grove here, part of Norma Gibbs Park. But this is like your own slice of paradise back here. Yeah. Mom, mom loved the garden, so... We have two orange trees, two avocados, a peach. Yeah, but this is real hidden history here because, I mean, again, a former horse corral transformed into just this incredible little escape back here. Old Pirate Lane, what does it mean to you? I mean, you, you grew up here, your family grew up here. I know your mom, great poetess, amongst other things, historian, author. Uh, she loved it here. What does it mean to you to, to still live here on this street? that feels like you've kind of escaped and gone back in time. Well, I'm really fortunate to be able to, to be here because uh, this is a wonderful spot. You know, it's, it's larger than the average lot and we're close to the ocean. and got the wonderful eucalyptus grove in back. There aren't many places in Huntington Beach, I think, that are like this, that are, you know, so private and so protected, so lush and so beautiful, and yet this is where your horses were. You guys used to explore, you and your brother. Right by Warner and Graham, there was a big, you were describing a big, like a, a quarry or a gravel pit, right? Talk about that. Yeah, that, that was the sand pit that they'd taken all the sand and everything out of. And then, then a, a, the water table rose as the farming stopped. And so it created a lake at the bottom. There was crawdads down there, so. We had crowded fishing, and then we built rafts to, to go out. Like it, your own adventure it, playground. It was like <laughs> our own adventure playground. It was awesome. Again, to kind of give people an idea of what this area was like, right across the street where Metal Ark Golf Course is, your brother discovered something there. He was going to Marina High School one day back in, what, the 1960s it or so? Been, probably been in 63 or so. And he found something on one part of the course or where they were building a new home. They Talk were build, building homes on the other side, and he came across some bones and he un unearthed a, a skull. And so he took it, took it to high school. And one of, the, one of the teachers knew something about cleaning up the, the skull and, and dated it. And it, it turned out to be about 1,000 years old. So for everybody, when we think about the Native American culture, it did kind of stretch beyond just where the coastal groups were by Bolsa Chica. Yep. It came all the way back up here. Oh, yeah. And you were saying that Carr Park yeah, was Carr an Park, artisan. Uh, yeah, had, had an artesian well at, at Carr Park, so they had water over there. So, so that was an artesian well, and so that would have been obviously a water source right. for people who lived up there more than 1,000 years ago. Yeah. Just amazing. On Old Pirate Lane, you had, for years anyhow, until very recently, your own water supply. That's kind of historic too, right? Right. It's this, this mythical well. 
In, in 55, when mom found this property, there was a noisy above ground water well. She didn't want that, so she had the, the landowner move it across the street. Your mom Her, did that? Yeah. But the yeah. well is still there. We're going to go look at it in just a minute because that's a piece of hidden history, too. The fact that you had your own well for, you know, almost six decades. There's a lot of history on this street. It's this little protected pocket of history. What was it like to grow up here for you? What, what, do you, what are your feelings about the street today? Well, it was a childhood dream back, back then. Still, still is. There was oodles of places to, to play where you could build tree forts in the, in the grove. The eucalyptus grove, which you, your property, we can hear there's a murder of crows making yep. themselves known today. You said that they're they're harassing an owl uh, an trying owl. to get some sleep up there. That's right. There's a lot more to explore, including one of the oldest, most historic homes in Huntington Beach, That's which right. thanks to you, we're going to get a chance to go inside the minute, right? Yep. Why don't we head back out, hang out with the neighbors a bit, and learn about the well? Excellent. Okay. So we've been hanging out here. I feel like I've been welcomed into this like secret club, the old Pirate Lane Club. You know, you've all got great deep roots here. You've all contributed to the legacy of the place. You, you've lived here, Barbara, for how long? Since 1976. And your house is how old? Well, I was told that it was 50 years old when we bought it. That's where the Nerios lived, and it was just a single-story smoke who owned building. The, ran the airport, which would be right behind us. Right, exactly. You were describing over the years, in terms of community here, there were what volleyball games or tournaments. And when we moved in in '76, this was a dirt road. It's a private road, and it was maintained by the residents. So we used to have barbecues down at the end of the street, and play volleyball in the middle of the street. If a car came, we just lifted up the, the net and the car would go <laughs> And there was a on. sign that would welcome you on Old Pirate Lane, right? Like a Yeah, it wasn't sign. real welcoming because it <laughs> said, you know, this is a private street, adults and children at play, uh, please drive slowly because we like it that way, something like that. A lot of cars would come up and down this street just to, to look. Yeah. So well, there's a real charm about it, a little bit of mystique, too. Is it true what would happen on, on Christmas mornings, you were saying people would go, like, like yeah, door to door yeah. and just kind of visit with each other but, and see who got what? Christmas morning, about 7 o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on the door, and there's a young lady, Susan, and her dad, <laughs> Chuck, and they're in their pajamas, which is kind of different for me. And I said, you know, it's 7 o'clock. He said, well, come on, we're going to walk down the street. And I said, well, i got to get dressed. He said, well, nobody gets dressed. We, we just walk down, our, down the street and we go to all the houses and see all the gifts and say hello, Merry Christmas and everything. And we started doing that. And we used to end up at the last house on the left, the Meniers, and she always had a nice, huge egg omelet dish for us and, and, and homemade <laughs> cinnamon buns that were really, really good. So. That was my introduction to the to the whole street. You know, I guess things do start to change. There was an iconic pepper tree that was here forever, right? Down by that telephone pole. In 2000, I believe, that, that tree went away. And it had been there a long time. Oh, yeah. And it was a great place because that's we had a little fort at the top. And so it was great for the kids. We'd all meet out there because it was the gathering spot for the kids. There was a, there was a little rope swing there. The sense of community is so palpable when, you, when you're just hanging out and talking to all of you watching as cars go by and everybody ch checking out why we're here, for one thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you let them know it's okay, you know, and everybody seems like they've got each other's back. Is that what the community's like here? Uh, I, 
think so. And, you know, the, we were going to talk about the well. That's one of the things where 13 of the houses were, were on the, the private well. I think uh, we were told it was one of the last in Orange County. And like the street, it's, uh, you know, privately owned, which meant when the pump went bad, all the neighbors would get together and work together to replace the pump or fix whatever pull, was wrong with it. Pipe or, yeah. yeah. All right, so on that note, you, you're the, the well expert. Like, so why don't we lead over here? We can talk about what, what you lovingly refer to as uh, old pirate water. Because we had all the professionals that we needed. We had the two doctors at the end of the street. Husband, <laughs> husband and wife were both doctors. We had a nurse. You had engineers, we doctors, had all, nurses. We had all the engineers. Yep. We had pilots. I'm, I'm a retired attorney, so we were able to pretty much take care of ourselves. Self-sustaining community. Yes, yes. Except we didn't have a have a farm, but uh, farm animals. We, yeah, we had a lot of farm animals. We had a couple of horses. There were chickens on the street when we moved in. A lot of chickens. Uh, two, three houses had uh, bees. Beekeeper. Um, literally, they raised bees. Beekeepers. So you got fresh honey for Christmas mm -hmm. regularly. That was always neat. One of the things I liked was uh, the, the veterans on the street. You know, Roy's, um, Roy Grazer was here. He was uh, uh, infantry in World War II, Battle of the Bulge. Wow. Your dad did seven landings in the Pacific as mm -hmm. uh, a Marine. Yeah. Art was Seabees. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of neat. That was a nice bit of heritage, a nice bit of history, so too. Those, so you had those stories woven into the street. Right. You'd get to hear veterans recount. Uh, their missions and things. How remarkable. What, 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 a, what a great street to live on. I love the fact, though, that this really was like the life source of the street. I mean, this is where you all got all of your water. I used to have Boy Scout meetings here on the street, and uh, the parents would always ask for old pirate water. They thought it was exceptionally good. Um, Everyone talks about the quality of the water that came out of it. Yeah. Is that yeah. what you remember it as being? It was good water. We had one meter on the water as it came out, and the water costs were split equally <laughs> among the 13 families that were hooked so up to the 13 well. 13 houses? Right, the, there's a, a break point. If you get more than 13, you get up into 15, then it's a whole nother set of regulations and tests and training and, and things to uh, be able to have the well. Would you ever find like one family using too much water? Was there ever that family? That yes. Would, like, take too many showers. But it's a had to be, right? I mean, if it spikes one month, it's like, well, we know. Well, some people have huge yes. pools, you know. So. Do you, oh, so we'd, do you... we'd see the uptick in the in the bill, and, yeah. and it stopped being used. What about a year or two ago, right? Right, right. Uh, we had a really heavy rain, about 10 inches of rain locally, you know, measured by our gauges, and uh, because the well casing, steel casing, was put in in '55, um, it has some perforations in it. We believe the groundwater soaked down and soaked through the casings and uh, uh, contaminated us, made us a little high on the nitrates. And because now there's a sewer line down the, the middle of the street, it'd be very difficult to get permits to either repair or replace the well casing as it is. So things just change. It's sort yeah. of like there's no more airport. The pepper tree is gone. The well is gone. So, I mean, a right. little, little bit, even though you still maintain a real great sense of history back here, some things, time just marches on, huh? Yes. Maybe it becomes a museum piece. We talk a lot about the need for a local history museum to be a great photo op for people. The original Old Pirates Lane uh, 
you yeah. know, water tank could be amazing. Yeah. But no, it's just, it's, a, it's another great piece of the puzzle back here that, that bound the community together. And, and again, as time marches on, we see things start to fade. And this obviously is no longer needed, but what a, what a great uh, testament yeah. to time of, of how many families it, it served. It served us well. Yeah. I will thank you for uh, teaching us the hidden history <laughs> of the Old Pirate Water. Yep. The Old Pirate Water Great Company. Story. The Old Pirate Water Company. You could probably bottle that today <laughs> and market that. Well, there's probably still water in here, right, yeah. Mike? Oh, it probably it is. <laughs> if you want more hidden history, check out our Facebook group, which is simply Hidden Huntington Beach. We've got over 15,000 members there sharing stories and home movies and all kinds of great things. So hope you enjoy that, and we'll see you soon another edition of Hidden Huntington Beach. All right, we'll see you later, okay? Okay, well, nice meeting you, and thanks for coming out here and uh, Our pleasure. you all your projects. Yeah. We'll keep you You're posted. You're welcome on Old Private Lane anytime. I'm going to come over for dinner tomorrow come night, on, okay? Come we'll... on, come on. Hey, <laughs> check him to the last house on the end. Arthur, You say that. You say that now. Arthur, Wait till I show <clears throat> Hanging out, just chewing the fat with the neighbors like that is another unforgettable experience because it reminds you that history is about people and those folks on that street are making they're making history on that street they've lived there for decades they've been a part they're a part of the legacy so to hear their stories firsthand uh is is you know again there's nothing like hearing something firsthand from people and i love the fact that they know the history of their street they embrace the history of their street but the fact that they're so willing to share it is also a really nice experience Huntington Beach has embraced public art for a long time, and it all started with what's become arguably the most well-known sculpture in the city. It's come to symbolize the essence of Surf City. But where did it come from? Who created it? What's the story behind what's called the ultimate challenge? I'm Chris Epting. History excites me, especially history that's waiting to be uncovered. I feel like a detective sometimes, sifting through clues, chasing down leads, and examining evidence. That's why I've written so many books about it. When you discover an untold story, it sparks the imagination, it connects you to the past, and sometimes it even helps you see into the future. Welcome to Hidden Huntington Beach. Chris. Thanks for meeting me here. I figure we're going to talk about public art, surfing, and sculpting. Who better hey, than you? Three things I love, Huntington Beach, surfing, and art. Listen, um, Dave, people I don't think realize Huntington Beach back in the early 70s adopted a public art program. Where we're sitting right now, your Pier Plaza, these steps, these concrete bleachers, this is a public art project created in 1998 by an artist named Lloyd Hamrell. I mean, art is, is surrounding us. Just to our right, there's a beautiful um, mosaic mural called the a Poet's Table. It's incredible, you know, especially when you live somewhere like Huntington Beach, you know, we're kind of like a world-class destination. We have to have some incredible public art. We're here today to talk about, to me, the two most arguably defining pieces of public art in the city. They involve surfing and they involve sculpting. 
and I'm hoping you can maybe help give your opinion as a sculptor and give us some insights into this, what I think is a great hidden history story. Why don't you lead the way across the street to PCH in Maine? So Dave, before we get to the sculpture we're gonna talk about, this great piece of public art, where we're standing in terms of surf culture, our good friend PT calls us the Times Square of surfing. Why is that? Well, this is like ground zero for the surfing industry. If you happen to be in the industry and you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. You've got Jack's Huntington Surf and Sport. This is really, this is it. In a lot of people's minds, this is the top of the heap as, as far as uh, surf shops go. Again, you're a surfer, you're a sculptor. This is one of the most recognizable, well-known pieces of public art in Huntington Beach. Talk about who this is and who created the sculpture. Well, this is, of course, uh, Duke Kahanamoku, known as the father of surfing. Who was here in Huntington Beach in the 1920s. He came here, helped usher in surfing. Yeah. And he came back in the 50s and the 60s for all the U.S. surf championships. Right. He would come with a, um, a jar of um, water from Hawaii and then bless the, the event by mixing Hawaiian water with the Huntington Beach water. I've seen other Duke Kahanamoku statues. This is by far the, the best. The Surfers Hall of Fame commissioned Edmund Shumpert to um, sculpt this. And, uh, and Shumpert was a surfer himself, right? Edmund Shumpert was a surfer, an artist. Yeah. I read that he wanted to, he, what his goal was here artistically was to depict Duke in his, in his teens. This is an early version of him as we look. You can notice that, right? Yeah, the other Duke statues are him probably in his uh, 60s. Right. Where we're standing, a lot of people may be unaware that we're surrounded, in addition to being in the shadow of Duke here, but we're surrounded by surf history. It's sort of like the Grumman's Chinese theater of surfing. You've got a lot of old friends here in the sidewalk, don't you? I do. I have you know, some still around and some no longer with us. Let's visit a mutual friend of both of ours, Fig, late great Fig, who passed away tragically, suddenly, not long ago. I remember the day he did this. It was, it was quite a day, and I'm um, super stoked to have witnessed it and to have been his friend, and yeah. we'll never forget him. No, never. Well, let's do this, Dave. We, we look at the Duke statue. Edmund also sculpted what's arguably the most famous piece of public art in Huntington Beach. I mean, people come from all over the world to see this piece of art but there's a story behind it that's connected to one of the names in the sidewalk here. I don't want to reveal that yet. It's one of my favorite pieces now of Hidden Huntington Beach history. So why don't we take a walk down to that sculpture and talk a little bit more. All right, let's do it. Probably the most talked about, most notable piece of public art in Huntington Beach, the ultimate challenge. Talk about it. Edmund was commissioned by the city to create this. He sculpted it and cast it in Italy. And this was back in the early 70s. This is really what kicked off the public art program in Huntington Beach. This is like the first piece that gets going. Why don't we get a little bit closer? We can talk more about it. What jumps out at you in this piece? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you know about it? You know, talk a little bit about how this was put together. Obviously, Edmund, being a surfer, he knew exactly where to place the surfboard on the wave, where to place his feet on the surfboard, the positioning of the body. It's all spot on and timeless. It was created from clay with an armature. I'm guessing at least uh, 
five or six different molds were created just for this piece. Right. And uh, it's bronze. He sculpted it and cast it himself in Italy. Wow. And that's one thing unique about Edmund is he, he bronze casts his own work. What's different about that? That's not how it normally works? Most artists will turn their work over to a foundry and the foundry creates all these molds and decides how many, how many molds are required to make a piece. But he's a hands-on guy. He's overseeing every part of the process. He's one of a kind. And you said in terms of detail, you even see wax marks on the board? Yeah, I just noticed today that he has little bumps uh, surfboard wax. Amazing. Now, people come from all over the world to see this. It's been dubbed the nude dude for obvious reasons. Right. Sort of controversial piece of art here. But I think the biggest piece of hidden history, the biggest mystery behind it, is who was the inspiration for the sculpture, right? And right. you have some information about that because you got to know Edmund a little bit years ago, didn't you? Yeah, I spoke to him on the phone about this particular sculpture. He told me that it is Mike Doyle whose handprint we just saw. Right. Well, Mike Doyle was a, a surfer and an artist, world-class surfer. Mm -hmm. He was a great guy. I got to meet him a few times. Did he look like this? When you see this figure, does it remind you of Mike Doyle? Well, the, the surfing style, it does. I think it, he didn't add trunks to it to make it timeless, so that it's just ocean, man, and surfboard. And even the head, I don't know, I'm assuming that doesn't look like Mike Doyle. It looks almost like a Greco-Roman, like, like when we see Socrates depicted in marble or something. That's what it reminds me of. That's kind of what it looks like to me, too. What Edmund left us here is arguably the, the most notable piece of public art in Huntington Beach. I think it probably always will be, or at least always be very special here, given how many people come from all over the world just to see it. So thanks for your insights, Dave. As a sculptor, as a surfer, I know what, what this one means to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Edmund, of all the pieces you've done, and you've done many notable pieces, you're one of the finest sculptors of your generation. The one entitled The Ultimate Challenge is arguably one of the most popular, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Huntington Beach, yeah. it's iconic. It's given out each year as the mayor's trophy. But did you base that on Mike Doyle? Yes, but I didn't, uh, I didn't try to make it look exactly like him. But he was the inspiration no. for the ultimate challenge? Yeah, I, okay. I, uh, I made another sculpture of him too. He lived in the next town over, and the first thing I did is I met him <laughs> right after meeting his mother accidentally. So it was weird. So anyway, he said, well, you want to learn how to surf? And I said, okay. He took so me Mike, down Mike Doyle, me. Mike Doyle taught you how to surf? Yeah. Hmm. He, we went up the trestle to, to go surfing. And on the way back, seeing my little sculptures of that had a model and, of the of big surfer at, at Huntington Beach. So he, he introduced me. We said, let's go up to... Huntington Beach, and I'll, I'll in, introduce you to uh, Vince Morehouse, the head of the lifeguards. Uh, uh, Doyle thought he might be interested in in having, you know, introducing it, 
at the Huntington Beach to the council there, whoever it was. When, when they approved the small sculpture, what happened from there? Well, we did the small ones for about two years or so. And then I got a surprise, I got a call and they wanted me to do a life-size one of that little sculpture. So, what did they do with uh, the small ones before that? What happened with those? Well, they were being given to the winners of the surfing contest. Oh, okay. I never knew that. I knew it was a mayor's trophy later on. But okay, so they had produced a, a few of the yeah. small ones. Then in about what about 1973 or so, I think you get the uh, the call to make a large one, right? 71. 71. 71. And so, how long does it take yeah. to produce? Well, um, I sculpted it in about uh, six weeks uh, because I didn't know how long I would have enough money to stay in Italy. So, so you so, went to uh, Italy to do this. Where in Italy did you go? Uh, uh, Pietra Santa. Edna, uh, did, you, did you have any idea that the ultimate challenge was going to become as popular and such a, a, a tourist attraction as it has? Well, you never know, you know, so I, I hope so. Um, for those that don't know, uh, Edmund, talk a little bit about uh, a company that you helped create that is very tied to surfing. Well, um, Ocean Pacific Surfboards. How did that happen that you helped found Ocean Pacific OP? I was surfing at the reef in Cardiff and... Uh, uh, I met this young man named uh, uh, Fred Ryan, and, and he was the owner of uh, a, a sex wax company. They made the, the, the wax, the round wax, surfboard wax. Walked up to me one time in town, and he said, he liked my little surfboard I made. And he said, um, I'd like to make a surfboard company. Would you like to... Uh, design the boards and get it started. Yeah, then he asked me, uh, can you think up a name and, a, and make a logo for the company? So I, I drew those up and um, I got, I have a, a whole history of that that I, I wrote and I have pictures and... So you helped um, create Ocean Pacific? Yeah. If you want more Hidden History, check out our Facebook group, which is simply Hidden Huntington Beach. We've got over 15,000 members there sharing stories and home movies and all kinds of great things. So hope you enjoy that, and we'll see you soon another edition of Hidden Huntington Beach. I admit, I don't always think about the public art. I take it for granted. And when you do an episode like this, it kind of forces you to pay closer attention. I've passed this sculpture a thousand times at least since living in Huntington Beach. But now I'll slow down, I'll look at it, I'll, I'll think of the artist, I'll think of the program, I'll pay attention to more of the pieces around the city because there are some amazing pieces that artists work long and hard on. And I really like the fact that the city appreciates that and feels it's important to the, uh, to the experience in Huntington Beach. It's 100 years old, with more than 100 stories connected to it. So many secrets, riddles, where it came from, where it went, and how we got it back. Fasten your seatbelt. This is going to be an interesting ride. I'm Chris Epting. 
History excites me, especially history that's waiting to be uncovered. I feel like a detective sometimes, sifting through clues, chasing down leads, and examining evidence. That's why I've written so many books about it. When you discover an untold story, it sparks the imagination, it connects you to the past, and sometimes it even helps you see into the future. Welcome to Hidden Huntington Beach. Jeff, you grew up here, so you would drive by this place when you were a kid. It was probably yeah. Mario's Liquor Store or, yeah. or a Subway. I remember um, both of those. Thousands yeah. of people are driving past here every day and, and are probably unaware that this is a really important piece of hidden history when it comes yeah. to the Huntington Beach Fire Department. I, I wouldn't have known until I was working here and yes. you know learned about it. I mean, you know it now, yeah. but we're standing in front of what was formerly the Ocean View fire station early 60s into the 1970s. When you first drive by, you really you really don't know what it is other than an old, old cool brick building, you know. What's it like for you guys to be here today? What are you, what are you feelings do you get? You know, there's always a sense of pride that that's kind of our history and, and the fire service is all about tradition and history, so. The, the department is founded in 1909. It's a volunteer department. The first station, I think, is the northeast corner of Orange and 3rd. That's gone. The original Main Street station is gone. This is still here. Why do you think it's important to keep a place like this? If you take tradition out of the fire service, then it's just another job. But what jumps out? How do you tell somebody this was a fire station? What's the first feature, the most yeah. identifiable feature? The, you know, the you know, apparatus bay is the most identifiable thing about our firehouse because we got to get fire engines in and out. So big roll-up doors, and you can see that it was two apparatus bay doors. The bricks that are obviously out of place, they're different style brick. So those and, are newer. Yeah, because obviously that, that couldn't have been there. This had to be the ro a roll-up door for a fire apparatus to get right. in and out. And then same on the other side. Um, and so this whole thing is what we used, what we still call an apron. So these uh, bushes so like would be here. Yeah, these bushes <laughs> and, and all of this was not there. I bet that marquee was there because it's split and it's lined up right with the midpoint. So they probably can just go right around it. So that probably was there as an identifier for the fire station. Guys would have been working right here, right? Yeah. Like it would have been right where we're standing. Absolutely. And, and um, when we have a chance to go look at the old, the old fire engine that we've restored, it's, uh, it's nostalgic to think that that was probably parked here. They you're, worked you're on it. You're connected to those guys that were all here, right? right? I mean, you're, you're forever connected. These are your brothers in arms, in effect. Absolutely. The building, when you see it from the street, it doesn't look like much, but it goes back pretty yeah. far. It gives you a sense of kind of the depth and scope of what went on here. Why don't you lead the way and talk yeah, a little bit about what structurally what we're looking at? Nowadays, when we build a fire station, we have a focus of not wanting to have to back the fire apparatus in right. off of the street. We want to be able to drive around and pull through for safety, for not blocking the roadway. And so this was still in an era where that wasn't a concern. The location is right on Beach Boulevard, and nowadays, Beach Boulevard is way too busy to have a firehouse right on it. This station was replaced with two stations over off of Gothard, right. you know, a block away, uh, where definitely significantly less traffic, way easier for us to get in and out of the firehouse without disrupting the flow of traffic and all that. So. Most of our fire stations now are built with a large amount of viewing space that you can see inside the fire station. The roll-up doors are glass, right. or there's something glass. And I look at this. It's like a bunker. It was just a bunker, <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. but you can see that the rear of the station here 
was where the dorms would be, right? It was 24-hour right. living, so the dorms, a small kitchen, bathroom, little office space. It looks like it became a drive-through at some point, too, because you can still yeah. see the menu board yeah. after it was a fire station. So mm -hmm. the buildings had a couple of different lives, obviously, as restaurants. All right, guys, you have you know, the history detective in me. You've whetted the appetite. I got to see more. The audience wants more. Andre, lead the way. Let's go see some more All history. Right, let's do it. This is Huntington Beach's first mechanicalized fire engine. Um, as the city got busier and they decided they, they were going to get rid of the horse-drawn vehicles. We go from horses to this. To this. 1922. This yeah. rolls off the line in Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. Los Angeles City Fire Department had ordered a bunch of these, and we kind of piggybacked on it, customized it a little bit for Huntington Beach. But it came over uh, on a train, and there's actually a crazy story that on the train coming over here from Columbus, Ohio, um, there was a fire, brush fire, and they pulled a few of these rigs off that train to put the fire out, and supposedly this was one of so them. So it fought its first it fire, fought its first on fire route. On, in route here. Yeah, you know? in San Bernardino County. San Bernardino <laughs> County, so. Incredible. I stand here and I look at this, and I think about, okay, Huntington Beach in 1922, oil is discovered only two years earlier, so the city is going through this incredible explosion. Business, population, workers, everything. So this had to have been pretty busy. Was in service for how long? Uh, it was in service for about 25 years, then it went to reserve status for about 10, and then it was donated to Traveltown Museum up, up in, in Los Angeles. Park. All right, so mm -hmm. it sat there for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to Traveltown. They've got incredible mm -hmm. artifacts there, trains, trucks, cars, and everything. But at a certain point, the city wants it back. How does that work out? What's the, do they buy it? Is it yeah, donated? How yeah, does it work? so the funny thing is Chief Dolder, I mean, all the fire chiefs are visionaries, right, in their own facet of what they think a fire department should be. Well, one of his was to get the fire engine back here to Huntington. So he brokered a deal to trade a forklift to get this back to the city. <laughs> you got it for a forklift? For a forklift, yeah. We got the better of that deal, yes, I think. Yes, for sure. Oh, yeah. You get fact. it back down here, though, and it doesn't look like this. What does it look like when it gets here? It was, it, they had put a coat of paint over it, just a generic red over the whole thing. Uh, there was stuff missing because other departments that were restoring their vehicles had taken it off of this apparatus. And I always say it looks the way it looks because of Rex, and it runs because of me, right? Every leaf spring, everything was taken apart. And then I always mention the, the, the bolts. If, if, if you ever have a chance to look at all of our bolts, they were all ground down and polished by Rex and his crews. And Rex, <laughs> how many people were working with you? I know you're kind of spearheading it, but how big was your team on this? Um, I mean, there's probably a group of maybe 10. 10 core guys and then everyone would just kind of help. And it was just a real great way for us to bond, you know, as a crew. How does it feel to be standing next to something so important? Rex and I both were engineers. I'm still an engineer. He's promoted the captain. But nowadays, you literally just jump in the rig. You start it. You push a button, push a few other buttons. The sirens go off and you're driving down the road, code three. But this, um, there's a term I use when I'm teaching in new engineers. They, we call it a barn boss. That means you're in charge of the barn, the, the rig and everything. When you were an engineer, meaning the driver on this rig, you were the barn boss. There's levers everywhere that I still don't know how to operate well, and that's why I drive slow in it. But you had to know how this thing felt. It was when a to whole shift. different mentality and mechanical world. system, yeah. right? Different world, different world. It's kind of hard to see, but right here, there's just a glass 
uh, with a little pipe in it, and that was our that's your oil pressure. So you're actually watching the oil. You're watching oil drip you know. through there, and that's how you know whether you're getting oil through your motor there. So we could use that today. I you could use it today. Yeah. What's so, the story of the bell? Uh, Golden West College has a bell game that they have with Orange Coast. Yeah, Battle of the Bell. They actually have a bell that whoever wins that game right. gets passed back. There's actually a plaque on it that explains all of this on there. But that bell was the original bell that sat on this rig. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we've since purchased a new one for now, but yeah. I think one day we'll, maybe we'll have one. Day, if you have an extra forklift, maybe you can swap yeah. that one out. <laughs> yeah. Rex, you've been working on this for how long? Uh, we've been working on it for about 15 years. Built in 1922 for $14,500, mm -hmm. substantial amount back then. Um, served HB from 1923 to 1955 down at 5th and Main, where the original fire station was. Um, retired in 62 and donated to Travel Town. I got to be honest, guys, we looked at this a little bit earlier today, and it's, it's, it's a sight to behold. Um, if I'm lucky, maybe you'll take me for a little spin we're, after. We're going to do it. But you discovered something here that I think, in terms of hidden history, when you come from it the way I like to come at things, of what's that thing that we don't know about? What's the hidden piece that really tells a new story? You found not one but two things on this truck. One day we were at the fire station, we had these panels, and I happened to see a little raised area underneath the paint here. I kind of messed around with it, and I, and I mentioned it to Rex. I said, I think there's something underneath there. Well, these guys started lightly sanding and sanding, and then from behind all that paint and the sticker, um, this artwork showed up. So the artist in Ohio would have been charged, presumably, with, OK, this is going to Huntington Beach. It needs artwork on it mm -hmm. that somehow depicts what in their imagination mm -hmm. was Huntington Beach, Correct. and they painted a sailing ship, a mm -hmm. tall ship. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of art it is. that nobody at Travel Town ever saw, right? Because they had it covered. So when the artist dealt with this side, this was the other piece. So a lighthouse. A lighthouse. That was the representative image. So you've got the tall ship and the lighthouse. And it's, it's and that was his vision of what Huntington Beach was. And, and if, But if you hadn't gone that little extra mile and noticed something underneath, we may not be looking at that today. Yeah, yeah there's a couple moments during this whole project and in life you get goosebumps, and this was one of them for me and I think for Andre when he mentioned, I think there's some pinstriping there. And I remember pulling off the sticker and then getting the sandpaper. And there must have been a 32nd of inch of paint and primer and all this other stuff on there. And I just remember sanding and sanding and sanding. And the moment I saw that, I got those goosebumps. And I called Andre right away. Andre, you'll never believe it. For, for what you guys have done, you, you are really your, your history heroes, you know, to, to put this time, kind of love and energy and passion and expertise into a project like this. I mean, the results are, are clear. This is absolutely stunning, like I said. What, why does this matter so much to you? Yeah, like for me personally, just the historical value, there's not many of these out anymore. You know, they have been scrapped or just been, you know, lost in time. And it's just kind of a tribute to the people that kind of paved the way for our profession 100 right. years ago. Being a firefighter, the passion is, it's not just like a normal job. There's a deep-seated passion of community service, helping people, yeah, attention to duty, and this is... Not only a tribute to history, but a tribute to the people that, that started it for us. For serving the community, for serving history, we salute you, we thank you. You really have done something magnificent thank here, you. so thank you very much.
Andre, we had to pop over here quickly to the Lake Street Station at Lake in Frankfurt. Really kind of a cradle of HP history. The trains used to run right here. Got Brewster's Ice right behind you where we've been before. But we're here for a minute to talk about, talking of artifacts, this amazing bell. This used to be over on Main Street. Yeah, this was one of the original bells that, you know, set the tones off. <clears throat> and this station is an important station for us. It's our downtown station. It's a busy station. But you were saying architecturally it's also special because unlike the place on Beach Boulevard, which is this kind of bunker-like brick structure, this is much more open with windows. Talk about the history, the hidden history behind that. Yeah, 